Right, so as you know, we're in this series about sharing our faith with other people, and the passage before us today is, is Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. But uh, before we get into that passage, and we're going to go through it word by word, phrase by phrase, I just want to, to remind us why we're doing a series on sharing our faith. At the end of the day, the job we all have as Christians, regardless of what other jobs we might be doing, is to be making disciples. There's Jesus' words. This is what he said to his disciples. I want you to go out and, and make followers of myself and then baptize them when that happens and then go on to teach them to do likewise. So that's what we're about. We, we also find a version of the Great Commission in John's Gospel. Here's John chapter 20. They're in the upper room. Jesus has just appeared to the disciples after his resurrection. And he says to them, as the Father sent me into the world, so I'm now sending you into the world. So as Jesus came from a place of comfort and security, he came into this hostile environment where he was very uncomfortable at times, and his role was to, to make disciples, to turn people to God. Now, I'm sure that some of you here have tried to make disciples. Anybody ever tried to get someone else to believe in Jesus? I'm sure you found out that it is no easy task. You know, it's one thing to grow up in a Christian home and from when you're this high to be taught the ways of the Lord. Then it can be quite a natural thing to become a follower of Jesus. That's my story. But for many people who've, who've lived a life of 40, 50, 60 years, maybe even followed another religion, to suddenly just drop everything they've believed thus far in their lives and become a follower of Jesus. That's a big ask of people. It's, conversion is a radical thing. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can underestimate just how serious a thing it is that we're, we're asking of people when we're asking them to, to follow Jesus. So two weeks ago, I don't know how many of you are here, but I preached on Acts chapter 17, and, and one of the points I made from that particular chapter and also from the whole of the book of Acts is that there's no one, no one right way to preach the gospel. Whenever the gospel was preached, they, they said something different. There were not kind of four easy steps to following Jesus or ten points to revolutionize your life or become successful. Uh, it, it was always different. And Paul shared the gospel, gospel differently depending on who he was with. And I'm sure you're familiar with this passage about how Paul said, look, I become all things to all men. When I'm with Jewish people, then I kind of act like a Jew and I, and I keep Jewish laws when I'm with them. I eat kosher and we're respectful and we rest on the Sabbath. But when I'm with people that aren't Jewish, with Gentiles, well, then I kind of you know, fit in with what's acceptable to them. But the gospel doesn't change. But what of the gospel we share with people, that changes. And another point I made two weeks ago, and then I'm done with my little summary, is that there is no easy way to summarize the gospel. That's why we have four gospels 
in the book we call the Bible, because it took literally four lengthy books to explain the gospel to us. So the gospel is not some quick, easy thing that you can just mouth off to convert somebody. Um, we need to be sensitive and careful in how we share the gospel and what we call the gospel. Right, so with that introduction behind us, let's read the passage we're going to look at today. Some of you are looking a little bit shocked, uh, but just relax, I am a Christian, and I'm sure uh, that as, as we work our way through this, things will uh, become clear, I trust. Here we go, Colossians 4 verse 2, this is Paul writing, devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders." making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. So this is the passage we, we're going to unpack today. And my first point in the sermon has to do with prayer and the advance of the gospel. There's a relationship between our prayers and people's prayers and the advance of the gospel. They, they go hand in hand. Look at how many references there are to prayer in these few verses. Devote yourselves to prayer. Verse 3, pray for us. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. So what really stands out for me in this passage is Paul's comment, pray that God may open a door for our message. Do you see that there? Verse 3, pray for us. Okay, it's one thing, I'm glad you're all praying. Paul says you need to do that. But then he says in verse 3, pray for us that God may open a door for our message. Why does Paul write this? He's reminding us that the advance of the gospel is a supernatural thing. Paul recognizes that he can't do evangelism in his own strength. Even Paul, with all of his knowledge and wisdom and ability and energy, he recognizes that unless God is at work, that unless people are praying, and unless God opens a door for the gospel, nothing's going to happen. And it's important that we realize and recognize that sharing the gospel is not something that we can do on our own or in our own strength. God has to open the door for something to happen. Look at how Lydia became a Christian. Her testimony is recorded in part in Acts 16. She, were, she was obviously a person that loved God, and she went down with some friends to a river to pray one day, and she ran into Paul. And after he'd spoken, 
we read the Bible tells us the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Well, those are pretty significant words. And she went on to host a church in her house and all that kind of stuff. But why did Lydia become a Christian? It's because the Lord opened her heart. Here's another great passage that kind of reminds us that evangelism is God's work. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul has to address the issue of favoritism among congregants for people in leadership. And he says, we need to stop this, I follow Paul, I'm with Apollos, these are my guys, these are the tapes I listen to, that's your scene. He says, look, we're all on the same team here. I plant a bit of seed as I go along. Apollos waters it. This one does that, this other one does that thing for the advance of the gospel. But at the end of the day, it is God who makes it grow. It's God who makes things grow. This is why prayer is so important when it comes to the advance of the gospel. This is why Paul says, pray for us that God may open a door for our message. If we don't pray, I don't think the gospel is going to advance as God wants it to. But there's something else that uh, Paul asks for prayer for in this passage. And I find it astounding. This is his second prayer request. Verse 4. After he's prayed for, pray that doors would be opened for the, the gospel. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. What do you make of this? This is the Apostle Paul. He's been a Christian for many years at this point. He's started many churches. He's, he's preached on missionary journeys. But yet he says, please pray for me that I may proclaim it, the gospel message, clearly as I should. You will notice that Paul doesn't have a memorized gospel presentation that he rattles off. Neither had he heard of the four spiritual laws. This eloquent, highly educated man, seasoned, he has to say, please pray for me that I will proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. And I want to digress ever so slightly at this point and say in our day and age, we need to be praying this more than ever before. There is a huge amount of twisting of the gospel, of butchering of the Bible. Many churches are no longer preaching the gospel and, and keeping that front and central. Seriously, they are not. And they can fall into error on, on either side. Some churches 
teach that, sure, we've got the gospel, but then you've also got to be good and kind of add to the work of Christ in order to be saved and blessed by God. It's not good enough to just believe the gospel. You've also got to jump through all these hoops for God to like you. That's a twisting of the gospel. There are churches today that are calling what God calls sin, they're calling a good thing. Professing to be wise, they've become fools. They have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. People are distorting the gospel big time today, and the internet is helping with this because it gives every body a platform Jesus said of the Pharisees the the top religious leaders of his day he said you've got a fine way of setting aside the commands of God to follow your own traditions a fine way you've exchanged the commands of God the word of God to follow what you want to do I think that's probably Mark 6 or thereabout. Here are some of the ways in which the gospel message is being distorted today. Well, they're all the the traditional historical theological errors. People are saying that Jesus died on the cross just as an example of compassion. Some well-known theologians are referring to Jesus' death on the cross as cosmic child abuse if we accept the idea of penal substitutionary atonement, God punishing an innocent person for someone else's sins. They say, how could God do that? God didn't do that. People are questioning the deity of Christ. They've done that for centuries. So there are these major understandings of what salvation is. The churches are getting wrong. Then there's the The prosperity gospel that has become a false gospel that has taken the place of the real gospel. It's this idea that God exists to make you happy. The gospel message from the actual gospels is about denying ourselves, repenting of sin, taking up our cross daily, following Jesus. The actual gospels say that No one can be my disciple unless he's willing to give up everything he has. That doesn't necessarily mean you've got to give it away, but it's all got to be surrendered to God for his purposes, whatever those may be in your life. That's the actual gospel. But people today are twisting the gospel, and Paul even talks about it in his letters, that some preach the gospel for personal gain, financial gain. It It is a distortion of the gospel, a twisting of the gospel, that God becomes a genie in a bottle that we rub the right way to somehow ka-ching, get the things to be released that we want. Heaven help us if we think that's the gospel. I'm very nervous to share this third one. Share it, share it. There's also the temptation today to to make social justice the main thing 
and kind of have the gospel as, a, as a, like a tack-on or a footnote. There's some Christians today that are actually adopting a Marxist worldview with a bit of Christianity thrown in. That's yeah, not what it's about at all. And there's a bit of a backlash at the moment. And, and believe you me, I'm all for social justice. justice. I'm all for restitution. Um, I, I'm all for leveling the playing fields, equal opportunity. But, but the gospel message can't just get fitted into a, 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 bigger, a bigger movement. So Paul prayed, pray for me that I may proclaim the gospel clearly as I should. As I should. That was his, his prayer. That was his prayer. Pray that God may open a door for the gospel and pray for me that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. A quick little story. An American evangelist came to our church maybe 10 years ago, whenever it was, and said to us, he wants us to all make a list of the names of three people that don't know the Lord and start to pray for them and see what happens. So I thought... All right, I'm a pastor in the church. I better do what's been requested. So I sort of begrudgingly made a little list. And I thought, okay, who should I put in my list and pray for? So I thought of a relative of mine. I, I wanted to pick someone that was like really, like very far away from God. Super successful, very appeared happy with life, kind of made it, you know what I mean? Not interested in God. So I stuck him on my list kind of prayed a little bit for him every now and again. Lo and behold, I get this message, I don't know, it was probably like a, a year or bit on. And, and the message, I'd heard rumors that something had happened in his life, but the message that eventually came through on my phone was, I've made an absolute wreck of my life and I've given my heart to the Lord. And he's actually a missionary today, which is like so mind-blowing. Yeah. And that's from being an executive at a multinational company to missionary. And I'm not saying it was my prayers, okay? But, I mean, it might have had a little thing to do with it. I, I don't know. But Paul says, pray that God would open the doors for the gospel. Because if we're not praying... I don't think the gospel is going to advance. We also need to pray. Pray for me as one of your pastors in this church. Pray for all of the pastors that we may proclaim the gospel clearly as we ought to. Next thing I want to focus on, point two, and it's not going to be as long. Paul talks about the mystery of Christ. Now, who knows exactly what he means when he says the mystery of Christ? <laughs> Pardon? So here's the verse. He says, pray that God will open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So, so I just want to float a few ideas, maybe four in all, about why Paul uses this phrase, the mystery of Christ. So 
If we look at the word mysterion in the Greek, by the way, if you can speak English, you already know a ton of Greek words, okay, because some of them like just came straight from the Greek into English, like mystery, mysterion, uh, and there are many, many others. Um, but the word mystery means to, to shut. It's kind of like it's a secret, like, you know, like you've heard something now, shut your mouth. That's the root word, but that's not why Paul is saying the mystery of Christ. There were many mystery religions in the first century. Uh, mystery religions were big in the Greco-Roman world. And a little bit like Freemasonry, but on steroids and many different ones. And they would do weird and, I don't want to say wonderful, weird and wacky things. Like baptizing people under the blood of a bull in a cage. And you'd kind of have this blood baptism. That was some of the wacky stuff they did back in the day. And there was this whole category of religions called mystery religions. And they were all premised on this idea that if you become part of our movement, we will give you the secret knowledge. Gnosis. Where we get gnosis. Gnosis. Gnosticism from. I always get thrown by the silent G. I mean, sometimes you say it, sometimes you don't. It's weird because the gnosis is knowledge, but we talk about Gnosticism. Very weird. We should talk about Gnosticism. So maybe Paul is talking about the mystery of Christ. He's kind of having a dig at all these people that have got their mystery religions. And now he's like, hey, let me tell you about the mystery of Christ. You want knowledge? You want secrets? Come, come to us. But maybe it's because the identity of Jesus is, is a mystery that unless the Holy Spirit reveals that truth to you, that secret to you, you you're not going to know it. You can't work it out for yourself. You have to be told about Christ. But the answer I like the best, I'm not sure if it's the right answer, but it's the one I like. Paul talks about the mystery of Christ because he recognizes as well as he knows Jesus, there's still a whole lot of stuff about Jesus he doesn't know. There's stuff about Jesus he can't get his mind around. This is why it's almost a reverential term, the mystery of Christ. Like it's mind-blowing who this Jesus is. Maybe that's why he uses the term, the mystery of Christ. Thirdly, this passage talks to us about making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. Here's the verse. Verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. The Greek doesn't talk about act, by the way. We're not putting on an act. The Greek is, has, says, be wise in the way you, you walk with outsiders, but that doesn't sit so well in English, so they've used the word act. Be wise in the way in which you, you interact with outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And this is a good moment for us to stop and think. What opportunities has God given to you? The implication is that all of us are going to have opportunities. And so Paul says, make the most of the opportunities that you have. What doors is God opening up for you? 
He goes on, be wise in the way you act. Make the most of every opportunity. And evangelism is not just something we, we put in our diaries. Okay, I'm going to do evangelism at 3 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. Okay, now I'm going out witnessing. Okay, I mean, there's a time and a place for that. But the Great Commission, and for all you why we're missionaries, the, the Great Commission doesn't actually say, go in all the world and make disciples. In other words, the command is not so much the go. The command is make disciples. The go has to do with as you go, make disciples. It's like as we all are going about our daily lives, make disciples. That that's, comes out a bit more clear in the, in the original language. You know, sometimes it's easier to go on a mission trip to make disciples. Nobody knows you. You don't have to get embarrassed like that they're going to see you the next day not feeling so good. It's easier to kind of go off somewhere also where you might be a lot wealthier, a lot better educated, have more, you can feel more confident. It's a lot harder sometimes to be a witness in, in the community where you're living. But whatever our opportunity, we all have them, and I'm all for the going as well, don't get me wrong. Are we, are we being wise? Are we making the most of every opportunity we have? And of course, when you begin your day saying, Lord, what opportunities are, are you going to open up for me today? Please open up some doors for me to be a witness today. We'll find the doors actually land up opening a whole lot more. And we're more tuned into spotting the open doors. And his final point, and my final point, is about our conversation. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It says, let your conversation be seasoned with salt and full of grace. I'm sure many of you are familiar with Francis Assisi, who is alleged to have said, preach Jesus and if necessary, use words. Okay. That's a lovely tune. Makes me feel like I'm in a cafe in Paris. So Francis Assisi, when he wasn't preaching the gospel to his, to his dogs and cats and cows, he did say this, but, but it is necessary for us to use words, okay? You can't be a witness by stealth alone. Sooner or later, we do have to open our mouths. Paul says, let your conversation be full of grace. Let's unpack this. Let your conversation be always full of grace. 
full of grace. So you're known as a person whose conversation is full of grace. Firstly, what is a conversation that's full of grace? It's not one that intersperses the word grace. <laughs> or even praise the Lord the whole time. What would the opposite be of a conversation that's full of grace? It's someone who's always moaning, talking about themselves, criticizing. Conversations full of grace are positive, encouraging, forgiving, supporting, empathetic. These are conversations full of grace. When people talk to you, it's like you, you, you're encouraging, you're, you're gracious to them. And apparently, our conversations are to be always full of grace. Something else I want to highlight here, it says, let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. We're not called to shove salt down people's throats. Okay, and in the past, some Christians have thought that's what evangelism is. You know, open wide. No. It's, it's seasoning conversations with salt. What's the concept of salt? In, in the, not concept. Why was salt important? It added flavor to food. It preserved things. It stopped things from rotting. And in our conversation, we need to add flavor, preserve things, stop things from rotting. How do we season a conversation with salt? Here's some ideas. Because in many contexts, you can't share the gospel. If you go into a company to do an audit, you can't say, please gather around before I leave. Uh, just got a few words to share with everybody. You're all going to hell. You need to be saved. You know, um, e even as a teacher, you know, you, you're being paid to do a job. You, I'm not sure you can use teaching time for presenting the gospel, particularly in a multicultural environment. So if, if you're a physiotherapist, a nurse, a doctor, you can't just sit your patient down and say, can I pray for healing or whatever it is. Um, there's certain protocols you've got to follow. You're being paid to do a job and you can't abuse that. So how are we to witness in situations like this? Well, it's through having a conversation that's full of grace. That alone will make you stand out. But then you sprinkle in a bit of salt. Nobody can call you for, for seasoning conversation, just throwing out a comment about your relationship with the Lord. Oh, this morning I was praying and I felt the Lord said this to me. Nobody can castigate you for saying that. Giving a different view on something and letting them know it's because you believe the Bible or you're a follower of Jesus. Just simply giving thanks to God for something but in a sincere way, not how some people say, thank God, you know, but like a, a th thank the Lord for what he's blessed me with. Giving a Christian perspective on something in a normal conversation. These are all ways we can just sprinkle the gospel into our daily conversations with people and be a witness. 
final thought. We need to know how to answer everybody. That's also in this passage. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. It often amazes me that we'll spend years becoming an expert on a certain body of knowledge, attend lectures for years and years and years, read thick textbooks against our will. <laughs> hey, Brad. Why don't we bring that same enthusiasm to learning to Christian things? Sometimes, which if the gospel is the most important thing in our lives, why do we spend so little time and attention really studying and growing? Because sometimes in our evangelism, we need to be able to give an answer to people for the hope that we have. Here's a lovely quote from C.S. Lewis. And he, funnily enough, describes himself when he became a Christian in 1929. He was a professor at Oxford University in literature. He described himself in his conversion as the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. What did he mean by that? He's saying he didn't want to become a Christian, but the cold logic of what he was hearing and learning persuaded him. As Peter writes, we do need to always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask us, flowing out of conversations full of grace that have been sprinkled with Christian truth. Sometimes we have an opportunity to give answers. So in summary then, we've looked today at the importance of prayer in sharing our faith. Don't think you can do it alone. It's God who opens hearts and doors. Even Paul needed prayer to be able to share the gospel clearly, as he should. And if Paul needed prayer, how much more do we? There are many challenges to the gospel message on many fronts today. And they're growing. Paul speaks about the mystery of Christ. Is it out of reverence? Is it because we can never get Jesus buttoned down, put in a box? The mystery of Christ. In evangelism, God does his part and we do ours. And may our conversations always be full of grace and sprinkled with salt. Lord, we've read these words from Paul. And we pray that you would help us to implement them, to be devoted to prayer, to pray that doors would be open for the gospel, to pray for ourselves and others, that we would share the gospel clearly as we ought to. And help us, Lord, to have conversations that are always full of grace, seasoned with salt. And help us to be able to Give an answer to those that question us for the hope that we have. And so we pray today, Lord, that you would put on our hearts the people you want us to pray for. We want to be part of the watering and the, the nurturing and the preparing of soil. But you, Lord, make it all happen. You make it grow. We want to work with you, Lord. 
You said, the Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You said, I will make you fishers of men. Here we are, Lord. Turn us into fishers of men. We hear your call to us. As the Father has sent you, so you're sending us. Be with us, Lord. Open our eyes to opportunities for the gospel. And give us a deep heart and a love for those you want us to reach. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brad.